Many of us will gather together with friends later today to watch our country's highest rated sports event, the Super Bowl. We'll eat millions, if not billions, of chicken wings. We'll gorge on pizza and chips and beer. We'll watch the game wearing our favorite team's colors or wearing the team's paraphernalia. Rise up. I'm from Atlanta. Some have spent thousands or tens of thousands of dollars for the elite privilege of viewing the game live at NRG Stadium. Others will watch the game on their rented or newly purchased 60-inch TV screens. The Super Bowl is like a religious experience of sorts. While we may be reluctant to say that football is a god, certainly we have placed supreme importance on this particular occasion. Many have sojourned to Houston just to be in the vicinity of the celebration. Theologian Barbara Lumblad notes that when we consider all of the rituals of the Super Bowl, we might realize that it's not all that different from what we do in church on Sundays. This evening, people will stand at attention while the American flag, our sacred object, is being carried onto the field. Men will remove their caps, will place our hands over our hearts as the national anthem is played, and many will sing along quietly as if they are praying. Watching this on TV, it would appear that this is one of our noblest moments as a nation. Feelings of patriotism and pride are almost palpable. Cameras will pan the crowd and certainly find people standing tall with tears in their eyes. And yet, while this ritual is happening, something else will be going on in our nation. While we eat our chicken and chips, one in six people in our country will continue to fight hunger. While some view the game from suites priced at over $300,000, others will sleep on streets with temperatures below 30 degrees. While we laud one team's ability to conquer their opponent, some trafficked sex worker will become another person's sexual conquest. And after all of the ritual of this evening is complete, most of us will return to our daily routines consumed largely by our own personal needs, problems, and pursuits. Many Muslims will continue to fear their safety here and abroad. Our nation's indigenous people will continue to face intimidation and discrimination as they defend their lands from oil pipelines. Coal companies will resume dumping waste into our water. Families in Flint will still have lead in their pipes. Millions of children will still receive a substandard education. And time may reveal that the rituals surrounding today's game have done little, if anything, to close the gap between who we aspire to be and who we really are. Now I pause here to say that I recognize our nation is not a religious one. In fact, our nation is founded on the principle of the separation of church and state. The rituals of the Super Bowl are not, at least intentionally, a declaration of what we believe theologically. They are not meant to bring us closer to God. Nevertheless, these rituals lift up the ideals of liberty, justice, unity, 
as they reveal to us the chasm between who we are and some of our neighbors' lived realities. Today's lectionary readings have something to say about that. In Isaiah 58, we encounter a community that is also experiencing a chasm between who they espouse to be and who they really are. The community in Isaiah has returned to Jerusalem and Judea from Babylonian captivity. They are navigating the challenges of rebuilding their lives, and the community is seeking to renew its relationship with the holy. In an erroneous attempt to connect with God, the Israelites focus on rituals instead of true righteousness. But God is having none of that. In Isaiah 58, 1, God tells the speaker to announce the people's sin and rebellion. God is not pleased with how they were living because their worship was disconnected from their daily lives. Outside of worship, the community had done little to protect or provide for its most vulnerable. They were worshiping, but they had no witness. And worship without witness is worthless. And it remains true for us that if we are to have a worship that is worthy of our God, then when we finish praying, when we finish fasting, and when we finish singing, we are called to get up from these pews and go out into the world to work, to be the salt and the light that Jesus commands us to be in Matthew. So how do we do that? Well, through the prophet Isaiah, God provides guidance on how we can witness to our faith in the world. And while the instructions are not exhaustive of all we are to do, we discover here that being salt and light requires a few things. Resistance, insistence, and persistence. Resistance. It's a big word being used right now. With all that's going on in the world, many are finding it important to resist laws, policies, and practices that they consider unjust. Some, some of you, are resisting by marching in the streets. Others are refusing to follow or obey laws that they consider unjust. Some cities are fighting unjust immigration policies by offering sanctuary to undocumented immigrants. Still, there are some who view resistance as a nuisance to society. But what our text reveals to us is that resistance, withstanding the effects of something, does not begin with us. The text illustrates that resistance begins with God. God tells the prophet to shout out the people's sin. The message version of Isaiah says, tell my people what's wrong with their lives. God says they are busy, busy, busy at worship, and they love studying all about me. They maintain the appearance of a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring people. But the bottom line is that your fast days are about profit. You drive your employees much too hard, you fast, but at the same time you bicker and you fight. God recognized that all of the community's busyness, their worship, their prayers, their fasts, were insincere. How did God know? Because it didn't result in any change of heart. 
The people's worship was not about God. The rituals were about themselves. If anything, they were hoping to cajole God into giving them prosperity and protection. They wanted to avoid another stint in Babylonian exile. But God resisted their prayers. God refused to hear them. God refused to be moved by empty worship. Instead, God insisted on how people should live. The message version says it this way, this is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. God said, I'm interested in seeing you sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, and being available to your own families. Now this isn't Leslie talking, I'm just reading the book. God goes on to say, get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, Be generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out. And those principles of resistance and insistence that were true for the Israelite thousands of years ago remain true for us today. If we are to help change our world from a place filled with unnecessary brokenness to a world filled with light and love, then we must resist those who do not sincerely try to make positive change. Shout out the truth about laws and policies that keep people oppressed and insist that our nation live up to its ideals of liberty, freedom, and justice. Insist that we treat all people with compassion. Insist that we treat all people with dignity. Insist that we give all people respect. And not only do we resist and insist, but we persist in doing good work. God says, when you do these things, I'll continue to guide you. Persist in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Persist in loving our neighbors as ourselves. Persist in being the salt and light that Jesus commands us to be in Matthew 5. And God says to the people, if you do this, then your light will shine. God said to the Israelites, your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. And when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and God will say, here I am. Now I recognize that persistence isn't easy. It's actually exhausting at times. At times, we'd rather rest in our own comfort than to continue working on behalf of others. But as civil rights leader Ella Baker said, we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. And this freedom isn't just for some of us. This freedom is for all of us. This reminds me of a story I once heard about a man who fell into a dark hole. The man was in the hole and he was afraid and he was crying out for help. And a priest came by. The priest said a prayer and kept on going. 
Then a wealthy man came by. He heard the man crying out for help. So he wrote a check and he dropped it in the hole. And then the man's friend came by. And the friend climbed down into the dark hole with the man. The man said, friend, what are you doing? Why did you get in here? Now we're both trapped. And the friend said, I've been in this hole before. I know the way out. There are some among us today who are trapped in a dark hole. And there are others among us who've been in the hole before, but who knew how to get out. And part of our persistence is not getting ourselves out and then walking away and never looking back. Part of our persistence is to climb in the hole with those who are stuck and to help lead them out. Some were in the hole during slavery, but found their way out. Some were in the hole during women's suffrage, but found their way out. Some were in the hole in Japanese internment camps, but found their way out. Some were in the hole during the civil rights movement and found their way out. In 50 years, and I'm 35, so I expect to still be alive. In 50 years, when the world looks back on this moment, when my grandchildren and great-grandchildren asks how we responded, ask what we did, will we say we tried to be good Christians? That every week we prayed for those who were in need? That we fasted? that we ripped our clothes and sat in sackcloth and ashes? Or will we be able to attest to the work that we did? Will we be able to say that we persisted in our care for the immigrant? That we persisted in our care for the poor? That we persisted in our care for women's rights? That we persisted on behalf of people of color? that we served at El Nido, that we cooked at sharing table, that we marched outside of the courthouse. Will we be able to give examples of how we climbed in the hole to help bring others out? I hope so. So today, go watch the Super Bowl. Eat your chicken wings, root for your favorite team, be moved by the ritual, be brought to tears even. But when it's over, don't stop there. Go out and help to bring forth the kingdom of God. Amen.